Welcome to Digger. This is the speaker. I'm here with my co-host, the Sharp Edge, and Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. How are you guys doing? Hey there. Doing good. Doing good. That's a little good frustrated with the internet world, but you know. I'm a little frustrated with a lot of things at the moment. Okay, like what we're going to get in today, we're going to get into the IG report, which is one of the biggest things that have dropped this week, along with impeachment, what's really happened with it, what to expect. We're going to talk about Corey's report on some indictments that have happened, which connections to the Pope and HRC. Edge's new report, Cancer Within Modern Medicine, Transhumanism. Corey also wanted to talk about some court cases of some big hotel chains, which are linked to human trafficking. Well, to start off, ladies, I'm just going to throw you a curveball because I've been reading this and I know we haven't talked about this because I know you've been deep into your reports, but this has been going on for a couple of days. It's been a bit of a, a war between conservatives and libertarians and conservatives and conservatives, and it's an interesting debate, and I wanted to kind of get your opinion on it. It's, it. It kind of started the other day when Gab called for a banning of adult content. By adult content, we mean pornography. They got hit from a lot of different sides, calling them hypocrites, considering they want to start a platform that is non-censored and that is free speech, but yet are calling a ban on something that is legal. So this this starts off that porn is bad for the brain. Uh, it changes patterns in the brain, just like any other drug. It also uh, leads to certain disabilities within men, so ED, erectile dysfunction. What is your opinion on that? Do you think it should be banned? If, if that's something people want to do, they should seek it out on those specific sites. I, w- I don't know that social media sites yeah, there's are the be platform a, for that. Right. There's got to be a way to, to be able to separate because, you know, even kids can go on Gab now. Right. Can't kids go on Gab? Y- yeah, yeah, but they're not calling for a ban on just porn on Gab. They're calling for a ban in general. A ban in general of yes. on all platforms of course. Yeah, so some sort of uh, uh, I, I, I think that's basically what they're calling for. This is absolutely crazy to me. So I thought you were saying that they were calling for this ban on specifically on Gab. No, they, no, they want to ban it in general. Across like the internet. Try period. to. Okay. <laughs> they, they were just the ones that kind of, I think, kicked off the debate. It, they, they, this uh, has been happening for a while. This has come up a few times in different circles. Gotcha. If, if, if porn should be banned or what. Because they mentioned it the other day, it kind of took off a little bit more and a little bit more people have been talking about it. I know where I stand on it, and that is it's legal. People have a right to make it. People have a right to produce it. And there should be restrictions on it, of course, for kids, but there already is. I think that comes down to parenting, keeping your children off those sites if you have underage kids in your house, monitoring them, monitoring the internet in your vicinity. And then for adults that are having trouble with that, you got to try to take personal responsibility like everything else. Right. right yeah. I, I, I don't know that I would stand with, the, although I don't, you know, necessarily, I'm not a pro- proponent of it. I'm just saying that I, I don't know that I would agree with banning it across the board. I would just say that there needs to be definite regulation, which I think there is. I'm just making sure that it's not on social media where kids or, you know, people underage would get a hold of that. Of course, but taking something like like that away from adults that is legal to me is completely wrong. Yes, it, it can do damage to you in excessive use, just like alcohol can, just like smoking can. But it comes a point where you're an adult and you have to start taking personal responsibility for certain things that you do and certain things that you watch and 
problems that you're having, right? For kids, I can understand it. Keep it away from them. But for adults, where where you're going to give more monopoly to the government? But the reality is, you're not keeping it away from kids because all you have to do is is I mean, how how's the internet, the websites going to know that you're a kid accessing it? That's when it comes down to parents in their house putting firewalls on their thing to block out adult content, which you can do. Yeah, it's taken more of an active role into what your children are viewing, right. what your children are doing. It's basically being a parent in this modern age it's tough i mean i know a lot of parents who's who have kids with phones and it's because they work full time right parents just want to have have access and know what their where their kids are what they're doing so you know there's junior high kids that have their own cell phones you know 12 oh yeah 11 12 13 year olds you know young and so it's hard i would think as a parent to parent in this modern age because of the technology that kids are have access to and therefore all of the adult content that they may be getting and not telling the parents i agree with you though it is more about a parenting thing i'm not saying i'm a proponent of it i don't generally agree with taking people's freedoms away to make that choice for themselves right Well, the more the more you tell people what they can and can't do, the more it results in sort of a black market and abuse. And right. that's the last thing you want in the porn industry. Right. Agreed. And since we're on this topic, let me just roll this out now about this case. Well, there's several cases actually going on right now. So in New York, there's a landmark U.S. legal action was filed on Monday, accused several major hotel groups of profiting from sex trafficking on behalf of 13 women who claimed they were sold for sex in hotel rooms. Many were minors when it occurred. So we're talking about some of them. There are the Hilton Worldwide Holdings, Red Roof Inn, Intercontinental, Best Western, Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. This is huge because there's another case going on in Oregon right now against a lot of hotel chains. And there's some other cases, I believe, in Washington and California taking place. This one with these 13 separate actions have been filed in Ohio, Massachusetts, Georgia, Texas, and New York. This is big because this hasn't been done before. This could set precedent. They are, a lot of these hotels are in on this. They're taking money for this or they're turning a blind eye. These are multi-million dollar hotel chains. Exactly. And this is, this is happening globally. I mean, we already know tourism and hotels are a big industry for the trafficking. And um, they're, yeah. con- they're always bringing the kids or women to the hotels for this. So if, if they can get you know, legal action on this, that would set quite a precedent and hopefully, hopefully scare these hotels a little bit to yeah. not participating in this. Right. Well, well, and it's well, been I, going on for so long. I, I've been researching the Franklin scandal, just a lot of some of these older child sex trafficking rings and hotel, the, the testimony of some of the kids who were involved in it, they would be a, accompanied by one adult, you know, three or four young boys accompanied by an adult. And they would say, oh, he's my dad. And they testified, you know, that these hotels, these nice ritzy hotels that they would go to, mm-hmm. um, were totally complicit, knew exactly what was going on because it was, you know, maybe 20 adults to 50 or 60 or 70 kids. You got these same freaking pimps going and take, bringing in different kids all the time. I mean, come on. Okay, I can actually share you a personal story on something relative to this, which I haven't told you girls before, but while we're on the topic, I, I used to do a lot of 
business. I was quite a prevalent businessman in going back about five, six years. I used to travel the world a lot. Me and my brother, we owned a company together and we used to get supplies from mainly China, Philippines. We used to travel there about twice, three times a year on and off. We spent about six months of our year traveling most of the time. And I can recall plenty of times going to either China or the Philippines, staying in places of the intercontinental and staying in business suites that we normally would and being offered these services. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Not in such an obvious way. Right. But you know exactly what they were trying to sell you. Did they mention like women or children or were they not specific? They weren't specific in that at all. Unless you were to go further, they would have been specific. But at first, they'll just chuck it out to you while you're at the desk asking for things. Right. Interesting. Wow. Which is, yeah, nothing that me and my brother ever got into. Definitely has happened to me a couple of times when I was in my business life. Predominantly Asian countries. See how the, that law suit goes oh yeah I'll, I'll follow that one for sure who wants to roll into the ig report that's all edge Go <laughs> into it. yeah i'll give some points and then you guys can jump in and tell me your thoughts on it but the oig examined more than one million documents that were in the departments and the FBI's possession and conducted over 170 interviews with over 100 witnesses for this report. And some of those witnesses even included Comey, Loretta Lynch, Sally Yates, Rod Rosenstein, Dana Boente, Andrew McCabe, James Baker, Bruce Orr, and Nellie Orr. Two people who were not party to these interviews but were requested were Glenn Simpson and mm. Jonathan Weiner. Now, we already know who Glenn Simpson is and his association with this whole Russian hoax, but Jonathan Weiner's kind of lesser known. So I wanted to give a little bit of background on who this guy is and maybe why he would decline a voluntary interview with the IG. Mm. So he was a U.S. special envoy for Libya and John Kerry's State Department. And <laughs> Tom Fatone, who's received some documents from the Obama State Department. He was working kind of in coordination with Victoria Nuland when she was a top aide for the Hillary State Department. So Jonathan Weiner was really close, actually, with Christopher Steele. In fact, he was Christopher Steele's contact at the State Department for years. And so basically, Christopher Steele was funneling stuff up through Weiner and Weiner's contacts, and Weiner was taking that information to Victoria Newland, and that's how it was getting elevated, the stuff from Christopher Steele as well as Glenn Simpson. That is interesting that the OIG report has stated that they were able to interview all of these people, but Glenn Simpson and Jonathan Weiner. So that was one point I did want to make. The second point I wanted to make is that the OIG was able to review only documents that were received by the FBI already. We're not able to seek access to anything else outside of that. And they were not actually even looking at the actions of any other agencies, like the CIA, for example. So really, the, the, you need to just understand that the scope of this OIG report is limited. Mm -hmm. And the next point I want to make is that because the scope of this OIG report is limited to the documents that were already received by the FBI and to just looking really at the FBI's actions, not being able to look at other departments or even other foreign governments and their participation in all of this, the OIG admits in the report that some of the information may be 
inaccurate or incomplete because of their limitations in the scope of this. That's where we get into John Durham's investigation because John Durham's investigation is not limited. John Durham put out a statement almost just, you know, right after the OIG report dropped on Monday. And I'm just going to read that to you guys because it's pretty important. What John Durham stated was, I have the utmost respect for the mission of the Office of Inspector General and the comprehensive work that went into the report prepared by Horowitz and his staff. However, our investigation is not limited to developing information from within component parts of the Justice Department. Our investigation has included developing information from other persons and entities, both in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., based on the evidence collected to date, and while our investigation is still ongoing, last month we advised the Inspector General that we do not agree with some of the report's conclusions as to the predication and how the FBI case was opened. Here's what the, what they're referring to. So Horowitz, he gave a report as to the predication of how Crossfire Hurricane was even begun. That is where Durham is saying that their investigation conflicts with Horowitz's findings. And remember, Horowitz is saying he admits that he has limited information. And he also admits in the report that if they don't have access Access to documents or interviews like testimony to back it up that whatever the FBI is saying as their their reasoning for doing something you know that may need further investigation because you know it's kind of outside of his scope and he doesn't have the the full story so Durham is saying that they don't agree with the predication Horowitz is saying that the predicate for opening the crossfire hurricane investigation was a friendly foreign government report received in July of 2016 that stated that in May 2016 George Papa suggested the Trump campaign had received some kind of suggestion from Russia that it could assist the process with anonymously releasing information during the campaign that would damage Clinton and Obama. That's the sticking point that Durham disagrees with based off of his investigation. The predicate. With the IG, though, it's important to note that they found 51 violations and nine false statements within it. Yes, there were, and and from my understanding, there were at least 17 omissions and or mistakes submitted in visa applications to the court. Right, and when they were talking about Comey, Horowitz said the activities we found here don't vindicate anybody who touched this. Because, of course, that's what they're reporting. And so, okay, so last night for me, I was getting ready to study all this and my internet went down. Again, this morning I get up, it was on, and then boom, it's down. I'm trying to watch Horowitz. And so I get on the phone with my cyber guy and I'm like, I can't get on. What's going on? Look up my area. And he's like, oh yeah, 
oh yeah, they're hitting it hard. Comcast is has major red across the board in nine states right now. Of course, you're going to have DC and the East Coast and several other sprinkled big cities and Cal- I believe California, parts of California fell in there. So total media blackout intentional. We see this every freaking time. And then the left is either not airing it or they're cherry picking and they're only showing like Diane Feinstein's part or just certain aspects of the hearing because my God, they definitely don't want people knowing what all the FISA abuse that he found. So whereas he could be sitting there saying, oh no, I didn't see any bias with them as far as it pertained to beginning this investigation. Right. And and the way they handled themselves, because it reminds me of the whole CPS thing, there's like lack of oversight and policies in the department that allows them to carry out certain investigations where there really should be better policies put in place. So now right. they didn't really do any wrong there. But... Once you start getting into the FISA, oh yeah, that's bad, really bad. And so the media is not going to cover that unless it's like Fox News, of course. Yeah, so they took basically just this foreign-friendly intel from what it was basically from Alexander Downer, and it was faulty, fabricated intel, and that's everything they used to start the counter-intel probe. Then they started wiring people up and talking to them, And every piece of information that they got was exculpatory, basically saying, I don't know what you're talking about. In fact, this is what Bill Bill Barr's nutshell of the IG report was. He says, this is the meat of the issue. And if you actually spent time to look at what happened, I think you'd be appalled. So in their counter intel probe, they say that we're not going to go and talk to the Trump campaign. We're going to send people in with wires, wire them up. And then have them go and talk to the individuals. That happened. That happened in August, September, and October. And it all came back exculpatory, meaning it was all evidence that cleared the Trump campaign of any guilt or blame. And these people said, I don't know what you're talking about. So they spied. Right. And so not only, and this was before they even applied for the FISA applications, but it wasn't just exculpatory as to the relationship with the Russians, but it was also exculpatory as to the, the specific facts. And A, they never did anything about that, and they just pressed on with their counter intel probe. And B, they never informed the FISA courts. They basically withheld exculpatory evidence from the FISA courts. They were told by the court that, it, that they didn't have enough probable cause. And so they went back and used the Steele dossier in order to bolster their their FISA application, knowing that the the Steele dossier was total garbage, they knew that mm-hmm. the um, the subsource that that Steele had used for this dossier, even he had said it was garbage, and mm-hmm. so they knew that that the Steele dossier was junk. It was um, basically just rumors. The CIA had rejected it. They knew that, you know, Hillary campaign and DNC had paid for it. They withheld all of this from the FISA application. And not only that, they actually, one of the lawyers falsified, falsified an email um, (laughs) that would have exonerated Carter Page. They falsified it. They knew that they wouldn't have gotten the the, the FISA application to spy on Carter Page without it. With, With all that, what really pisses me off is people like Christopher Ray. I was just looking for that. I'm like, God, I hope Steve uh, has that. It, I can't find it. 
he, he has to go. I don't like him at all. He, he, either you're part of the solution, you're part of the problem. He was asked in the ABC interview, even with all this evidence that you're giving by the reporter, was President Trump spied on, which clearly was. His answer to that was, that's not a word I would use to conduct our work. Everything he does seems to be protecting the FBI. It was even a mention of, he even dismisses claims of a deep state, telling him that's not a term I would use to describe our workforce. Like I said, you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. At the moment, he seems like he's doing everything he can just to defend the FBI. He's given the media all their talking points they want, but right. then he's done it before. Well, we know now that how complicit the media was. They were actually even participating in funneling Steele's reports to the FBI. Not only was the, the media complicit in saying no, that the FISA applications had nothing to do, they were not based off of the Steele dossier. We know now they were almost entirely based off of that, especially with Carter Page. We also know that some of the people in the media were actually funneling some of Steele's reports to the FBI after the election. Well, that's so, how it's always been. That's why the media was created in the first place, so they could control the narrative of all their agendas. Well, there you go. <laughs> of course they are. It's just getting more obvious, though, especially with today, them not covering any of these statements. That alone shows you their complete bias. Right. And, Wasn't and, it like ABC? None, none of the mainstream outlets are even covering Horowitz testimony. Just like, cherry-picking snippets, you know, like where Dianne Feinstein's talking. There's a few things that I don't agree with Trump on, because I don't think he does everything right. But definitely one thing he has to start getting a hold of is the people who starts putting around him. A few of them have been absolute disasters. Some of them, I understand there's a tactical point there. There's a reason why he does it. But some, I just cannot fathom why. People such as Bolton, people such as Ray really is puzzling to it me. is it is i've pondered it and i just i've never had a good feeling about race since the get-go so i don't know it, it just it doesn't make sense this is, here's a guy that's giving the media all the talking points they want and you mm. want to start swaying the media to the other side and well just, but that does allow a stall tactic if they need stalling done so they can get all their ducks in a row to take them out it provides a nice little stall tactic and side confusion going on oh it's got me confused i know they've <laughs> used tactics like for example with sessions and i'm not putting sessions in that same category but i'm just saying that you know there was a mixed mixed reviews on sessions performance i'm definitely in that camp now where i think that sessions just took one for the team and he was the stall guy he was the front man while a lot of stuff was going on behind the scenes that they just weren't ready to reveal yet they do use tactics like that i really don't know if that's the example here with ray right I have to tell you guys a funny story. So yesterday I went to get my hair cut for the first time in eight months and my, my hairdresser is, you know, slowly waking up to the reality of what's going on because she's finding things to be very complex and confusing, of course. Could you imagine? Could you imagine like just coming into this now trying to make sense of it? My God. I so, can't make sense of it now and I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> she says, I was going to watch, I wanted to watch the impeachment hearings and my husband wouldn't do it. He said, well, I just, I can't watch this. It's just chaos. Like you can't tell who's telling the truth, who's lying. Everyone's arguing. You just, you know, I'm not even going to watch it. She said, well, I have to watch it. So she watched it and she said, you know, it's so interesting because if you turn on like CNN or MSNBC, they're saying one thing totally different then if you turn on Fox, I said, did you read the transcript? And she goes, I did. She goes, it baffled me because I saw him reading that on television a while back. And then I'm like, I'm going to look this up. So she looks it up and she goes, wait a minute this isn't what he just said. And then she's like, well, maybe I'm on a website that's fake news. So let me look it up again. <laughs> she, she kept it <laughs> till she could verify. Yup. The House Intelligence Committee leader just out and out lied to the American public. Wow. I said, yeah. And imagine 
all the other lies that he's capable of if he could do that. We know that he lied about the, the memo. Yeah, the, the memo. He lied about the Steele dossier being the basis for their FISA applications. People are, are in desperate measures. And then yesterday, wasn't it yesterday? Lisa Page comes out with, I'm suing the Justice Department. And <laughs> uh, do you, what was it? The Department of Justice and who else? The FBI. I think it's the FBI. Yeah, good luck with that, Lisa. Oh, and she actually has a page set up on Twitter. I didn't even know that until yesterday. So she comes out saying that she's going to sue them. And here's what cracks me up. This is a woman who was national security and tech lawyer, former federal prosecutor. And she comes out last week with this, woe is me, which I don't even think she wrote personally, and plays this victim role. And I'm now suing them. I'm trying to find the stupid tweet. Oh, I sued the Department of Justice and FBI today. I take little joy in having done so. But what they did in leaking my message to the press was not only wrong, it was illegal. Just the whole woe is me victim. This woman was plotting with Peter Strzok and worried about Trump winning. Strzok was reassuring her, don't worry. Worry, we'll stop Trump. There's an insurance policy. We know exactly what was going on. There's nothing illegal about it. She's using government phones. But how is that illegal for the government <laughs> department to release phones that were used in government phones? Right. Like, I, I, I understand. They don't care about legalities. They care about the court of public opinion. And so she doesn't really care if she wins a court case. It's all about telling the public, look what I'm doing. See, I must be innocent right. if I'm willing to file a, a lawsuit against them. Because yeah, hurt my reputation. This is what happens when people don't go to jail. And this is what happens when justice isn't served. They start careers off this shit. They right. become this sort of martyrs. And people start looking at them like the good guys. Just like Blazy Ford. How and many times was- she lied towards the court? She should have been jailed for that shit, but she's not. Now she's writing book tours and getting awards. Right. And then, and then I'm listening to Adam Shifty the other day talk about foreign interference on the whole impeachment issue. And I'm just like, you know, we're talking almost $4 million from the UAE funneled through to Hillary Clinton for a presidential campaign. Foreign money, totally illegal. Talk about foreign interference. The mainstream news won't cover that. And any of the ones that did, it was on the radar for about 12 hours and then gone. But I covered it, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess we can kind of jump into this impeachment now. It's just blowing my mind that they have gone this far that they have. Uh, the Democrats have issued two articles of impeachment, which is some real low list tier things here. Uh, abuse of power, which is completely malleable and selective, and obstruction of Congress, which is a joke. There was a, supposed to be a third one, which was bribery. But, of course, the facts didn't support this. So they couldn't really put this in any legal stand. And the other day, I think one of the witnesses came out and said there was a quid pro quo with Biden. So, of course, that destroys their whole quid pro quo thing. What are we expecting from this impeachment? Now? The, the fact that they've gone this far, to me, blows my mind because there is no win for them. There is absolutely no win for them here. Like you were saying before, Corey, the polls and everything else is showing that impeachment is working in favor of Trump. He's polling higher. He was at 44%. I think he's like 45% now after all this. He just did the, the Firehouse poll that came out saying that he now just took the lead over all Democratic candidates in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And right, so the majority of voters sense. do not support impeaching Trump. And if you look at the rallies, I mean, they're stronger than ever. And the one just massive, massive. Turn of, turnout. Because the majority of people can see through this. The, the independents, the moderates can see through this. They don't want this impeachment to go down. Because if you're looking at it, 
it's completely biased. They're, they're doing this from a, a complete partisan side of the Democrats. They have no Republican support. Now, this has never happened in the history of America, where a prison's been impeached completely on a bias one side. They're going to keep pushing this as far and long as they can. They will happily push as many lies as they can because they are counting on the people to not do what my hairdresser did. They're counting on people to not look up documents, to not look for themselves and see what's happening, or not turn on multiple stations to try and compare notes to figure out what the truth is. See, with, with this impeachment thing, so the, the way I thought it was going to happen was that they were con- going to continue to push this on. They wasn't going to put it into any vote or anything. They were going to keep it underground basements and just keep feeding it to, like you said, edge public opinion. Right? I thought so too. I didn't right. think they would take it this far, but it's it's their own suicide. This is this is complete political suicide because we know what's going to happen. One of two outcomes here. Either way, they lose both. The House votes, they impeach him, which I think is the most likely option, which will then head to the Senate. If it heads to the Senate, what we can hope, who knows if they do that. I mean, McConnell can table it straight away. I think that would be a mistake. I think they should drag it out exactly how the Dems dragged it out. Call all their witnesses, call the whistleblower, call Schiff, subpoena yes. them all, right? Yep. Drag them completely out of it, do it for months. Get senators off the campaign trail, right? Because if they did that, Warren and Sanders' campaign is gone because they won't have time to go to all these states. They'll be back in the Senate discussing this because they're senators. Uh, they'd have to get there to kick him straight off the campaign trap. Isn't there also, I can't remember the exact wording of this, but I think Sarah Carter put out something yesterday or the day before saying that Biden said he will not volunteer himself basically to a Senate hearing or something. Biden's not, he's, he's in no bit of the house at the moment. So, so he, he'll be able to keep campaigning because he's not in any government position. Sa- Sanders and Warren are senators though. So they would have to be called back to the Senate. But Biden's um, a fact witness in this whole thing. Is he not compelled then? Can they not subpoena uh, him? The articles of impeachment are not on the bribery quid pro quo thing. I'm sure they could if they wanted to. But do you really want to do that or do you want to keep him on the campaign trail? I'd rather keep him on the campaign trail. But I, I would rather him and uh, Booty Judge on the campaign trail because they're the only two that will be left, which completely, like, they'll completely take Warren and Sanders out of the game. That's if they drag it out. The other option which would be even more devastating for the Democrats, which I would love to see, is if it goes to a House vote and those House Democrats that are fighting within deep red states don't vote to impeach. And I don't think they need that much more. There's already a few of them debating against it because once it comes down to something like this, I think a lot of politicians are going to be looking at their own self-preservation. Oh, yeah. Let's be honest. Politicians work for themselves. They're, they're going to start voting for long jeopardy here. They're going to know they're in Trump states. They've seen the polls. They've seen how devastating it will be. If any of those Democrats <clears throat> that are in deep red states start voting for impeachment, they're, they're in trouble. So if that happens and the House doesn't vote to impeach, that is even going to kick back on them even harder, which would be so great to see, right? <laughs> that not even the Democrats could rally to impeach him over these things. But there's, there's one thing I can show you is that there is 0% chance that he's going to be removed from office. The Republicans are so galvanized at the moment, which is actually really good to see because you've got people like Gates, Jordan, they're, they're, they're killing it at the moment. They're doing really well. And it's good to see them in coordination and actually fighting. But there's zero chance he's going to get removed. And they're, they're probably going to even create history for Trump once again. So the first impeached president to get reelected. 
right. It's just going to create uh, history for him again. Either way, this is such a loss for the Democrats. The smartest thing they could have done was to keep it in the basement and to keep dragging it out as much as they could for the election cycle and hang it over his head. But once this is all done and this is all over, especially if the House decides to not vote and they don't get the votes, God, that's going to be a great talking point for Trump on the campaign trial, isn't it? Yeah, right. And, and even the other way, <clears throat> you keep calling them out. So you look how partisan they are. It's definitely going to be an interesting few months. And it, it just it blows my mind that these senior Democrats don't have the foresight. All they're trying to do is provide political cover for the revelations that are coming out via the IG report, via the indictments a la George Nader and co funneling money to the Hillary Clinton campaign. All of these things, they're really just trying to provide political cover by doing this whole impeachment sham. It's Russia hoax 2.0. They're certainly not going to cover this stuff, that's for sure. I'm sure some people saw this, but I'm sure more people didn't because it was literally in the news for a day and it was gone. Basically, we have George Nader, uh, Ahmed, who goes by Andy, Kawaja, and six others that were indicted last week on charges of funneling, illegally funneling campaign funds from the UAE through to Hillary Clinton via political committees and her big pack. So that was nearly $4 million. Then after she loses, they give a million to the Trump inauguration fund. And since then, Andy Kwaja has actually given money to the Republican Party because these guys were playing both sides the whole time, but they wanted Hillary, make no mistake about it. George Nader, just to give everyone a little background, I reported on him uh, months ago in a separate article pertaining to those that have been either indicted or convicted of child trafficking or pedophilia, you know, crimes against children that are all very connected to the Clintons. And he's in that report as well. Epstein and a whole bunch of them. So he's from uh, he's from Lebanon, and he has been he goes way back. He used to years and years ago. He used to have a political magazine, and he traveled and he built relationships with world leaders. And so he's been like a middleman, an advisor to the Middle East. He's in with Saudi Arabia and the UAE. And so his other background is <laughs> he during Clinton's presidency was a liaison there. He also was a it wasn't special envoy. It was called something else to, to Syria during the Clinton administration. It's, it was an envoy, like not a special envoy, but some other sort of envoy to Syria. So he's known the Clintons for a very long time. And he is a convicted pedophile in the worst degree. He was charged back in 1999. He had a felony charge for transporting sexually explicit videos of underage boys in foreign commerce. He, I believe, was also like, it, I think it even goes back to the 80s with him. But in 2003, he was convicted in Prague, where he served time for sexually abusing 10 boys. So this guy is is sick. He's pure evil. And and a lot of this, you know, the Middle East, there it's like rife with child trafficking over there. So so this is who is their partner in crime. Then we have Andy Kwaja, who is the CEO of Allied Wallets, which was the first big red flag to me that I started looking into. And he founded that back in 2005. And as soon as I saw this, I said, "Oh my god, here we go. This is a money laundering front for the elite and the deep state. So with him, with his company, he's already been settled twice with the Federal Trade Commission on charges of money laundering. He forfeited $13 million in 2009. 
He more recently had to forfeit his house, one of his homes in Los Angeles. It's beyond money laundering. We're talking literally constructing foreign shell companies, dummy websites, and other falsified information to hide this stuff from banks and credit card networks. So his company kind of reminds me a little bit of like PayPal, you know, it's like an online service for transferring money through and they operate out of 164 countries. So over time, of course, the media pushed him out. All you have to do is look at all the covers of magazines this guy's been on and you know that he's working with them. He's in with many world leaders, high up politicians, you know, people in Hollywood, you name it. That's a little background there. Now, some of the other guys that were in this indictment, I haven't had time to go through them all, but like half of them worked for Allied Wallets. My big focus was on George Nader and, and Andy Kawaja because they were the two main players in this that were funneling the money. So they hook up in 2015 over in the UAE. Then later that year in December, and I have the timeline in my report here, in uh, December, Kawaja has a private meeting with Hillary Clinton over in Los Angeles. Then six months later, all of a sudden, money starts funneling through to Hillary's campaign. And we're talking, these people were doing private parties, small dinner parties at their homes, which is four of them. They're meeting with big lady or big sister H's husband, just met with the big lady, you know, so the Clintons knew about this. The Clintons have been in bed working with UAE for decades. They have gotten millions and millions of dollars for them from them for speaking events, to their foundation, you name it. Plenty of pay to play going on. So this was all very well orchestrated. As far as when they're going to actually bring her in for questioning on this, boy, I'd like to see that. But what's more interesting to me is I had started working on ties to South Africa. And two days later, this indictment dropped and I was able to connect them to this as well as other things such as Pope Francis and several other elites because Kawaja, the CEO of Allied Wallets, had just signed contracts over in South Africa to bring his company over there and start the whole online payment processing system over there. And we also have Jack Dorsey, who's going over there. Uh, he was just there and he's saying that he's going to move there next year for a while because he's building up technology over there. We have China involved. In fact, we just had China and Russia over off the coast with South Africa running naval drills. So they're all teamed up over there. Russia's trying to expand into there. The UAE just gave them $10 billion expanding the economy over there. We've got Meghan and Harry who just traveled over there and then they come back and two months later, Hillary Clinton is meeting with Meghan in her home in Windsor. And we know the Clintons and Bill and Melinda Gates have been working in Africa, exploiting the hell out of them for decades. So they've got their hands in this as well. Then we have the Pope and Chuck Schumer. So in June 2018, Chuck Schumer appoints Andy Kawaja to the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom for a term that was to run through May 2020, which clearly was cut short. That same month, interestingly, when he was doing that, the Pope was meeting with big oil investors to discuss climate change at the Vatican, one of them being Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock. Isn't that interesting? So two months later, after Chuck Schumer does this, Andy Kwaja is suddenly awarded a Medal of Goodness from the Vatican for himself and his company giving back to global communities. Then in December, just a few months later, he's at the Vatican and there's photos in here where he's being blessed and honored as an ambassador for peace by Pope Francis and the Vatican. And the Pope was showing gratitude for Kawaja's efforts in supporting children in need and his work with world leaders to spread peace. 
Coincidentally, two months later, the Pope is traveling to the UAE to meet with the leader over there whose name I cannot pronounce, and it's a mile long, but a crown, crown prince, Mohammed. I'm not even going to try it. So he landed in I'll, Abu Dhabi. Give it a go. Oh, it's, it's Crown Prince Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nayyan. Nice. I'm not sure. Nice. Well done. But this, so this is the one, okay? This is the Crown Prince that George Nader had been reporting back to that you see in the 64 page indictment, okay? They don't say that mm. in there, but this is who he was reporting back to. So we've now got George Nader, Andy Kawaja tied in with the Pope. And suddenly the Pope travels to the UAE to meet with him, which is the first time ever that a Pope has traveled to the Arabian Peninsula. This is not a coincidence. And they sign this joint declaration titled Human Fraternity and World Peace for Living Together. I have the document in here. It's very long. So then September 4th through the 10th, then Pope, the Pope travels to Madagascar, Mozambique, in Meridius and on his flight back has a press conference and says that it is our duty to obey the United Nations and international organizations. And I have a link to that, that whole thing too. Two days later, after he gets back, he issues a statement inviting world leaders and young people to gather at the Vatican on May 14th, 2020 for an event called Reinventing the Global Education Alliance which is a global educational pact is needed to educate us in universal solidarity and a new humanism. And goes on to quote an African proverb. It takes a whole village to educate a child, which you guys know. It takes a village is Hillary's little... Hillary, yeah. Yep, quote from her book. So two weeks after that, he's then giving a speech at the United Nations General Assembly and saying that the adoption of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development at the World Summit which opens today, is an important sign of hope. I am similarly confident that the Paris Conference on Climate Change will secure fundamental and effective agreements. And so this is just like, I'm just giving you guys the snippets, but I really encourage everyone to come in here and see, like read all this, because there's a lot of things going on in South Africa, and these people all link together with the UAE and South Africa, and this money being funneled to Hillary was very well planned. Yeah, I will be following this case to see what comes of this and if she's, you know, ever going to be brought in on questioning for this, which in a normal world, in a just world, she would be immediately called in and questioned on this. No kidding. Let's call in the Pope too, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a few questions. Fantastic. And let me come in the room to ask the questions. <laughs> in the just world, yeah. One last thing. So on October 31st, when Kawaja expanded his allied wallet company to uh, Africa, he says, Africa is the future. Investing in the human capital of youth, creating jobs and helping the massive 15 to 22 year old market become self-supporting is what I really want to do. Allied Wallet is a powerful tool for helping young people break out of their dependency on governments. Isn't that interesting? They are always so interested in Africa. Bill Gates is super interested in Africa too, with all of the vaccinations. And he was just recently there. Yep. Bill Clinton just Mm -hmm. met with, or it was in 2018, but after all of this went on and, you know, they lost and they knew the funneling of money, he just went and met with the crown prince as well, Bill Mm -hmm. Clinton, to discuss mutually concerning events or things when we can only imagine what that might be. So yeah, these people are all very tight. 
and something's going on in South Africa. Let me know when everyone figures it out. <laughs> You'll be when, the first, I'm when, sure. Yeah, I was going to say that. Corey's going to work it out before anyone. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's roll into yours to finish it off, Edge. All right. Yeah, so we're going to be publishing my final part of the Cancer Within Modern Medicine. This one is all about transhumanism. And guys, if you have not read any of the previous reports, if you only have time to read one, please make it this one. This is by far the most important one of the series. It talks about transhumanism, and most people consider that stuff to be the stuff of sci-fi, or maybe it'll happen way off in the distant future. No, we are here. We are here. A lot of this bioengineering and artificial intelligence and brain prosthetics and the list goes on. A lot of that technology is here and now, and they are in various stages of human trials for most of the things that I'm talking about in this report. And it's just very, very important because this affects us in our lifetime. This affects our kids. This affects humanity's future. And there are things in here, I know I might sound like I'm being an alarmist, but look, it's not just me. It's the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and their threat, worldwide threat assessment that lists artificial intelligence and bioengineering consistently at the top of their list as the most threatening as far as emerging and disruptive technologies that could have catastrophic effects on humanity. And so I'm talking about this, but I, uh, the, the first part of the report is really the, the history of how transhumanism began. It really does come from origins of eugenics. Okay, that's how it emerged and it has evolved over time, but there has, has been an overtone of eugenics all along that's still there and present to this day. So I talk about that, but then I really do get into the various forms of transhumanism and there's a lot. It's a loose-knit group of people who really their main goal is to just expedite human evolution. And there's various different ways of doing that. Some people are pursuing ways of converging humans with artificial intelligence. Some people are looking at ways of changing the human genome to eradicate illnesses or to upgrade us in various ways, make us stronger, smarter, etc. And there are innovations happening right now where they're doing these things. So for example, Ray Kurzweil, he's this prominent member of the transhumanist movement. He also happens to be the director of engineering for Google. So he's on the cutting edge of artificial intelligence. He knows exactly what's going on with artificial intelligence right now, and he predicts that by 2029, that is the point at which artificial intelligence will have reached and start to surpass that of human intelligence. Isn't that, that is an interesting year? Yeah, and that is the point at which humans will no longer have control over artificial intelligence. It will be in ways autonomous, and we don't know after that horizon point what to predict. Will it be good? Will it be bad? Will it be indifferent? We really don't know. But And there are people that are in various different camps, for example, like Mark Zuckerberg, of course, and the guy who created DeepMind, his name's Londoner Demis Hassabis, and Ray Kurzweil. They've got this like optimistic view of artificial intelligence and this harmonious future 
you know, between humans and artificial intelligence in the future. But then there's, you know, say, for example, Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk, they are very much on the other side. They know that this is inevitable. They know that artificial intelligence is too far beyond control as far as the projection of slowing it down or stopping it at this point. But they know that it's going to surpass human intelligence soon, but they do not see this as a good thing. They just know that it, it's not going to be in our control. And so is that why Elon's creating his little his yes. little experiment well, there? Yes. hundred percent. Elon Elon is on the on the fence that someone well th- this is what he says anyway, that someone's going to do it. So it might as well be me and it might as well be him in a way that he can try to control it and try to use it for good. That's what he says anyway. Elon's concept of Neuralink is to have a brain chip or a string of brain chips that will be a computer brain interface. It's already passed trials in monkeys. It's expected to go to human trials in 2020. And that is the beginning of what they call the singularity. Ray Kurzweil is predicting the singularity kind of on a mass scale for, you know, the general population will be by 2045. And by that point, artificial intelligence will be vastly superior to that of human intelligence. So we really don't know what to expect, but there are tons of paradoxical dilemmas that come with this, with merging with artificial intelligence. And I get into that in the report. And also, I really want to talk about bioengineering because the stuff they're doing is so dangerous. I mean, we're talking about how cheap and accessible the ability to edit the genome of various different things is now with the technology and how diversified the bioengineering field is at this point to where we literally have DIY biohackers and novice bioengineers making things out of their garage and creating viruses, you know, polio virus, creating, recreating uh, smallpox, things like that. So you're going to create a whole different sort of hacker as well, especially when this singularity event happens and you're getting chips in your brain, you're going to have people hacking directly into the human body. Exactly, guys. And I'm talking, I I talk about all of these, these dilemmas in the report. It's so important you go and read it because this is not somewhere off in the distant future. This is going to be happening soon. It's going to be happening in our lifetime. And we really need to have a conversation about this, about how far is too far. Okay, because it doesn't just affect you and your health. It doesn't even just affect your children and their health. It affects humanity. And so really need to just like ponder these things because this is- We need to do a whole show on on that. This is serious, serious stuff that they're playing with. And uh, it could affect- all mankind. So I can't, I really can't stress enough how important it is. If you don't have a chance to read all of the reports, I understand, but this one is definitely the most important one. So go and check it out. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks guys for uh, listening to us here on Dig It with myself, the Sharp Edge, the speaker, and Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. Please be sure to check out all the links in the description below. And we are now on Stitcher and SoundCloud. We'll see you back next time right here on Dig It. Bye. Hey.